Hello everybody and welcome back to our journey through Mark. So glad you could join us today. We will be continuing with this so fun trip by looking at chapter 6 starting from verses 1 through 13. These are two sections that we will combine today because they in a way, just like the rest of the book, they mirror each other or one leads to the other. But let's go ahead and read first from the NIV, Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 13. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Among his relatives, and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey, except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. That's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. The parallel versions of these two passages are found. The first passage, Prophet Without Honor, the parallel uh, passages will be found in Matthew chapter 13 verses 54 to 58. Then the sending of the 12 is found in Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 and then verses 9 to 14 as well as Luke chapter 9 verse 1 as well as verses 3 to 5. Now here we find some valley moments in Jesus ministry right after coming from a hilltop or a mountaintop experience where he just healed a lady who had the flow of blood and he raised Jairus' daughter. So you would expect that euphoria to be continuing, that euphoria to be going on. And on the other hand, I believe the human part of Jesus was worn out and what better place to go than home when you're worn out and you need some refreshment refreshing you need some relaxation you need to go back to familiar territory 
but in that familiar territory is where people know you and with familiarity comes contempt. They do not know Jesus as the son of God. They know him as the carpenter. And verses 1 to 3, they start asking questions. Where did this man get these things? Here in his hometown, he faced a crowd that wondered how he became so powerful in both word and works. To them, he left Nazareth as a carpenter, and he's coming back as a rabbi, complete with a posse, with a group of disciples. So from a human perspective, we can understand their skepticism that the locals would wonder what happened to Jesus. And their question is, is this not the carpenter? Some versions say, isn't this the carpenter's son? And let me submit to you that this is not as a compliment. It's a way of pointing out that Jesus has no training in terms of theology because he was never trained formally under any rabbi as an apprentice. If we look a little bit forward at Paul, we know that Paul as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was trained under Gamaliel. Jesus wasn't trained under any rabbi, leave alone a prominent rabbi. And let's remember that the carpenter here, the word that's used is actually broader than one who just works with wood. The idea is he is a builder. So maybe, just maybe, as much as Jesus worked with wood, he might have worked with stone as well because stone was a more common building material. And that helps us to, while they're discrediting him and looking at it as a way of disparaging Jesus, we can look at him as the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He is a master at building. He sees potential in logs, in those that we do not see as useful. When you look at a log, Jesus sees a complete table. When he looks at you, he looks at the finished product, what you can be. Another thing that was not a compliment is when they ask, isn't this the son of Mary? That phrase, son of Mary, is probably disparaging because it's contrary to the Jewish usage to describe a man as the son of his mother even when she was a widow, except in insulting terms. 
So rumors to the effect that Jesus was illegitimate appear to have circulated in his own lifetime. And maybe, just maybe, they are the ones that are lying behind this reference. So we see a lot of contempt first for his career. He's just a normal nobody with no training. He's just a carpenter. Where did he get all this training? And this is the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph. Not like the lepers he healed later when they say Jesus, son of David. Here he's being called the son of Mary. Now, the lack of the mention of Joseph might also imply that he died when Jesus was young. So that's another thing to consider as well. And then finally, they talk about his sisters. We know from Mark chapter 3 verse 31 that Jesus had brothers who are named here. But then we also learn that he had sisters who remain unnamed in this passage. And that's a way of pointing out as much as he had brothers, he also had sisters. He had the full human experience. And it's also a way of talking about the perpetual virginity of Mary as a myth, but that's a story for another day. What we will talk about today is that they took offense in him. They were offended by the fact that he's doing good works because according to them, they know him and he is not qualified. They knew little enough about him to think that they knew everything about him. What do you know about Jesus? And what are you doing with that knowledge? Are you using it to build your faith? Or will it become a stumbling block? And what does, how does Jesus respond to this? He tells them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. He accepts rejection as price that a faithful prophet must pay. Though I'm sure it hurt him greatly to be rejected by those who were closest to him. And because of their lack of faith, because of their limited lack, um, limited belief in this climate, he could not do many miracles. He still did. Like when there's a need, Jesus will meet it. He did heal a few who were sick. The more important thing that we see here is that he marveled at their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. Our inability to believe God and trust him is amazing. Have you noticed that Jesus doesn't marvel at creation? He doesn't marvel at the wonders of nature, 
That's why when the devil was tempting him and showing him all these things, he could stand firm because he created them. When the disciples went and showed him something that's man-made, the architecture of the temple, he did not marvel at that. The times that we see Jesus marveling, he marveled at unbelief, Jewish unbelief to be specific, and he marveled at gentle faith. It seemed to be misplaced. Where he expected to find faith, he did not find. Where he expected to find unbelief in the people that do not know God is where he found faith. So my question for you is, will Jesus marvel at your faith or will he marvel at your unbelief? Let me also submit to you that unbelief must be such a monstrous sin that it puts Christ to the marvel. That's a quote by a theologian by the name Trapp. The more important thing is that this rejection did not stop him from doing what he came to do. Save you and I and preach the kingdom of heaven. If anything, he raised the ante. He got on with the business of teaching and ministry. And how does he do that? He even multiplies it by sending out the 12, which takes us to the next section of our study today, verses 7 to 13, where he sends the 12 out to preach. It starts by saying he began to send them out two by two. In John chapter 20 verse 21, it says that as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Here he sends out his disciples to do the same things that he did, namely preaching, healing the sick, and freeing people from demonic possession preach the kingdom or the faith, heal physical ailments, and free people from bondages of sin. Then we find a very strange command for them. He's sending them to the unknown, but he tells them to not take anything. They didn't need fancy equipment to preach a simple message. And maybe, just maybe, if they were busy packing too much stuff, it might get in the way of their urgent message about the kingdom. So, no bag, no bread, no money in their money belts. They traveled light. When you travel light, you travel far. And another thing with that traveling light is that they had to be fully dependent on God for their provision. They had to trust in God for everything. 
And that's a good life lesson. If a preacher doesn't trust God, how can he or she tell others to trust God? But Jesus had a plan. He tells them, whoever will not receive you or hear from you when you depart there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. The disciples' job as preachers wasn't to change people's mind. They were to present the message. It's up to the hearer of the word to decide what to do with that message. Now, in that day, if Jewish people had to go in or through a Gentile city, as they left, they would shake the dust off their feet as a gesture to say, we don't want to take anything from this Gentile city with us. Essentially, Jesus is telling them to regard a Jewish city, and these are Jews he's sending, telling them to regard a Jewish city that rejects their message as if it were a Gentile city. And then he says it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment, implying that some will be judged more severely than others in the day of judgment. And we all know nobody will have it good in hell, but maybe, just maybe, some will have it worse than others. The one thing we know is that the disciples obeyed and they went out and did what Jesus commanded them to do, which is to go out and preach, to proclaim, to tell others the good news. They were not being told to reinvent or create a message. Their job was to send a message. And they also anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. The picture of the anointing with oil is a picture of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Although maybe it had medicinal purpose, if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, this man who had been beaten, he anointed him with oil and he poured some uh, some wine on his wounds as well. So maybe it was medicinal, but it's more of a symbolism of the anointing with the Holy Spirit. Anointing into the kingdom of God. Just as David was anointed king, you're being anointed into the kingdom of God. So, as we conclude, today we saw Jesus being rejected, but then we also see him pressing on. Anytime you face rejection, what do you do with that information? The other thing we see is Jesus sending his disciples out. He is sending you out today. Will you obey? And once you obey, will you trust him for provision throughout the journey? We 
because I guarantee you whether in this life or in the next life or both, you will see a return on your investment and definitely in the next life. So let's go out there. Let's be the ones to preach the word in and out of season. And if someone comes proclaiming the message, maybe our role may be to welcome them so that they may stay a little bit longer and reach out to many more. Either way, we all have a part to play. So let's get busy. Let's go out there and preach the word and preach the kingdom of God. Thank you so much. May God bless you. We will continue next time with looking at the death of John the Baptist. Be blessed. Until next time.